Am I on? Yeah, okay. Um, thank you, Wilson. Okay, so if you've been around Renew very much, you're familiar with how I'm gonna start us out, and that's um, by allowing you guys to talk to each other for a minute. Um, we just like to take a minute to maybe meet the person next to you and then share your deepest, darkest secret with that brand new person that you've just met. <laughs> I'm kind of joking. Wilson sometimes says that to us. Um, but this morning, I would just like you meet a couple of people around you and share this question that's on the slide. Um, what was it? Okay. What did your parents do when you refused to listen to them? Okay. So this might your parents, grandparents, aunt and uncle, kind of the people that took care of you, maybe disciplined you. What, what did they do when you refused to listen? Or maybe you're a parent. You can share what maybe your tactic is when your children refuse to listen to you. So go ahead and meet the people around you. Share a quick memory. All right, I bet there was some good ones. Although I did hear someone say that they never got in trouble. No fun. Um, okay, so for those of you that know me very well, you probably know my kids. If you know my kids, you know Mochi. Anyone in here know Mochi? Okay, this is a picture of Mochi. He's going to put up. Mochi is Lincoln's little um, guard dog by night and um, like truest, truest best friend by day. So Mochi goes everywhere with Lincoln. And, um, and, you know, he's seen better days. He's been buried in the sand, been through the wash a lot of times. He's worn our dinner. And um, Lincoln, like, he panics if he does not have mochi. So several times my husband and I have sent each other, like, 911 emergency texts when one of us is out and the other one is home with Lincoln and cannot find mochi. So it is really important that Lincoln has mochi by his side all the time. And if I really need to get... Lincoln's attention, I can take away mochi. And that really, <laughs> it really, it is really sad. Um, it, it produces tears most of the time. Uh, but but it's, it's, so it's, not my, it's not my lead tactic to get his attention. And actually, I have a scale for you of, of my kind of consequence and correction scale with Lincoln. Okay, so let's walk through this really quick. It's very important. Okay, so the scale we have, this blue arrow, this is like Lincoln's kind of hardness of heart when he really digs his heel in, okay? And as, as his hard heart increases, kind of the consequences increase. So let's just say that Lincoln, um, you know, grabs a stick and wants to run around with it. We know that kids sometimes don't know better, so the lead foot is often with a kid who maybe doesn't know better, like redirection, right? Like oh, I'm just going to take the leaf, like, here, run around with this leaf instead and watch it blow in the wind. Um, so you just kind of redirect them. So let's say, like, that doesn't work, and he's like, I don't want the stupid leaf. I want a stick. And so he picks a stick back up, and he starts running around with it. And, um, you know, at that point, it's gentle correction. Like, I, I get down, you know, to, like, look Lincoln in the eyes, and I'm like, hey, buddy, I, I need to take this stick because this could really hurt you. This is dangerous, and it could hurt someone else. So mom's going to take the stick, and we're going to put it down. We're not playing with that anymore. Okay, gentle correction. Let's say, hypothetically, that Lincoln's like, I really want the stick, and I don't care what you just said. And let's just say, like, I'm just making this up off the top of my head. He takes the stick and is like, I am going to run with it, and actually, I'd like to use it as a weapon against my sister. 
And uh, so, you know, let's say he just, like, digs his heels, heels in, and his will is getting stronger, and his heart is getting harder, and, you know, and it, it escalates from there. So then we've got, like, timeouts, which is, like, go to the stairs, we remove privileges, and really, like, one of the hardest things that I can do to Lincoln is to take away mochi, because then there is tears. But I know that if I take away mochi, like, his heart breaks. Like, he's ready to hear. Like, I can see tears. And the reason I share that story with you is not for you to become concerned with my parenting or give me <laughs> your best tips after service, although maybe I'll accept them. But it's because the passage that we're looking at today, Jesus has some harsh words um, for the Pharisees. And, uh, and I think we're at mochi level here. And, you know, we've, that is not Jesus' lead foot. As you may like, be familiar with some of the passages that we've studied or stories in the Gospels that typically Jesus' lead foot when he encounters sinners, all people, is gentleness. So we think about stories like when he um, met the Samaritan woman, gentleness with the Samaritan woman, gentleness with the woman caught in adultery that legally the men around her could have stoned, but he led with gentleness, gentleness with dishonest tax collectors. And in all those scenarios, he didn't really escalate because there was a softness of heart. It just seemed like there was one encounter, one invitation, one taste of forgiveness, one taste of his grace, and there was this repenting, this experience of their brokenness and their desire to have relationship with Jesus. But this is not what we have seen with the Pharisees so far. The Pharisees were just the religious leaders of the day. And we've talked through, you know, if you've been with us, we've been walking chapter by chapter through the book of Matthew. And, um, and we've seen him in his confrontation with the Pharisees. It's been in some small ways, some direct ways, some indirect. He's taught parables, which in all these stories, we really see the bad guy is always putting an arrow to the Pharisees. It's exposing their wickedness. He's warning of judgment. Each time, from the gentle ways to the more direct and the more harsh in his words, they don't soften. They don't repent, but their hearts become harder. And, um, and they're just kind of like moving up this scale. And it kind of begs the question when we're, we're reading through this, like, what's it going to take for their hearts to break? Like, what, what does it take for tears? So we're going to... Um, walk through chapter 23 together. It's kind of a long passage, so we're going to read bits of it. I'll just explain parts of it. Um, but I have the first part of the passage up on the screen. If you'd like to look along as I read it to you, we'll start um, in verse 1. It starts with Jesus speaking. Uh, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. It's basically just a seat of, of religious leadership. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. And you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Now the greatest among you shall be your servant. 
Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, so to kind of picture this scene that we have here, it tells us in that very first verse that Jesus was talking to his disciples in a crowd. And so you can kind of picture this. So there was a crowd of people. You guys are kind of like a crowd. And his disciples, which are just followers of Jesus, many of you are followers of Jesus. And, uh, and then there was someone in like the religious seat of honor, maybe someone teaching God's word. So today that would be me. So imagine that Jesus comes into this place and he turns to all of you guys and he says, okay, so Kristen's up here teaching the Bible. So listen to what she says, but do not model her life. You guys would be like, what's going on in Kristen's life? <laughs> and he's kind of going to tell us why he, uh, why he said that, why he warned of that about the Pharisees. And basically it is summed up in the picture that I have up here next. There's two pictures. So this guy on the left, this is kind of like a, a modern day depiction of what a Pharisee might have looked like. So we've got all the religious garb, you know, so you see the little box on his forehead. So that is what the phylactery is. So you may have heard me read through that part saying they make their phylacteries broad and fringes long. And I had to ask the internet what that was. I don't know if you already knew. But these phylacteries, so in Deuteronomy, when God shares his law with the people, he talks about, like, bind this on your foreheads and on your arms and have it on the posts of your home. So it, basically, so the law is ever before you. So you keep it with you everywhere you go. So taking this very literally, they had these phylacteries, and they're basically like a little box that they would have on their forehead and tiny scrolls that you were able to put inside where God's law was inscribed. So broader the phylactery, more of God's law that you got to carry with you. It's really kind of silly when you think about it that, that really these, these fringes and the phylacteries were just this outward adornment of like how how spiritual they were, how, uh, how high of status. So religious leaders were actually like of high status in this culture, and they were just kind of presenting themselves as, as holy and as better. And um, yeah, all, all, of their, all of their posture and platforming, it's kind of like parading their goodness before others. Okay, so on the right... We have probably the image that would have come to mind for the people in the crowd when he said they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and they lay them on people's shoulders. So when they had a lot of stuff to carry, they didn't just like load it up in the trunk of their car. They loaded it up on their donkey. And so when he talked about burdens hard to bear, this is likely the image they would picture, you know, that, that the burdens would get so high that maybe sometimes you would just see, you know, the four little legs scurrying underneath. And he's saying, this is a picture of what the people you are leading, this is, this is what you are putting on their backs. So those burdens would be things like extra religious duties and rituals and rules and ceremonies, ways that they took God's law and wanted to apply it. But in doing that, they made extra traditions and made those more important than God's law itself. And in that, it become just burdensome, like a list of rules to follow. And then it said the Pharisees themselves not willing to lift a finger. So the reason why this picture, I think, made Jesus so upset is this is 
the opposite image of what Jesus came to teach and represented himself. This is so opposite of Jesus. So think about Jesus. No parading, no posturing, no platforming. That he came as a baby into a family of an unwed teenage mother and a carpenter father. He was humble, a servant. You know, just a few chapters earlier in chapter 11, he said he wanted to give people, he wanted to carry people's burdens in exchange for a light yoke if they would just come near and trust him. So this picture is just so very opposite of what Jesus wanted his people to hear. So I think there's a caution for us in this. And even that we would ask ourselves, like, is, is there a picture on the left today? What would a Pharisee today look like? I mean, a lot of things. I think a modern-day Pharisee might look like someone who has, like, the best Instagram photos and words showing that they're, you know, advocating for all the right people and all the right causes, but... Um, never making a sacrifice, never lifting a finger. You know, if I constantly talk about how concerned I am for a certain people or a certain problem, but I've never given one dollar or one hour to actually help, am I not just making my phylacteries broad and my fringes long? I think about if my prayers in public are long and deep and beautiful, but in the quietness of my own house and in my own heart, I rarely talk to God. Don't I just kind of look like the guy on the left? And I do. I know sometimes I do. Um, you too, right? <laughs> like, I know, I know I'm not alone in this, and I know that, that I get pulled into performance like we all do. But I think that in this um, little passage, the intro that we read, there is a solution and an invitation that Jesus offers he says at the end of that passage, he says, those that exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus is inviting the crowds here into sacrifice and submission and servanthood. You know, when he talks about, you know, don't call each other instructor, don't call each other rabbi, he's not saying that you can't have titles. He's saying don't clamor for them or don't find your identity in them. He's really inviting us into freedom and joy here. Although I know when I say things like submission and sacrifice and servanthood, freedom and joy might not be the first words that come to mind. But, um, but if you would picture a ladder with me, and the ladder is, um, is a climbing of, of status and admiration and appreciation and how you're known and, um, and maybe adored or followed by others. That's what this ladder is. The more you get up the ladder, the more traffic there is, right? We're all, like I said, I think we're all pulled into this performance and this status climbing to a certain extent. So you get up there and it's trafficy, and to continue to just go up each rung of the ladder, you have to elbow other people and step on them. And in the process, your heart just needs to get harder and harder. But down the ladder, descending the ladder, there's, there's room to move and breathe. And you can actually see people and hear them and their needs. And it's slower paced down here at the bottom of the ladder. So this, this is a picture of your heart 
on a ladder, not necessarily your title. You know, anywhere on the ladder, you can be CEO or pastor, but maybe up here on the ladder, the hardness of heart and the clamoring is someone who uses their title and status to be puffed up with pride. But down here, descending the ladder, are those that use their platform to serve and to sacrifice. You know, maybe you see the same ladder, and there's people that do really good things everywhere on this ladder. But maybe up here, it's, uh, it's for admiration. And down here, it's maybe done in secret. Maybe you don't see it. Maybe it's done without any attention-seeking or fanfare. And I've been thinking about this, especially this week, like the more opportunities I have, the more titles I'm given that, that give me the picture of up here, that give me platform, maybe in title, the more intentional I have to be consciously in my heart to descend the ladder. Because you know, up here where the hardness of heart comes, it's burdensome. It is harder and harder, but there's this magnetic pull for some reason to continue rung by rung to climb. But down here, the invitation is the burden is light. It's just down at the bottom of the ladder. Okay, now after this part, Jesus' attention shifts away from kind of teaching the crowd and his disciples, and it's shifted over to the Pharisees. But as he begins talking to the Pharisees directly, he's doing it in front of the disciples and the crowd. And I think he's doing this, and it's not quite this passage yet. He's doing this because he knows the disciples need to hear it. Maybe that we need to hear it. Because our hearts are prone to some of the very same things that he's going to call out in the Pharisees right now. So as I kind of describe these next few verses to you, I want us to listen as the crowds and the disciples may have. Let's, let's learn as the disciples, but let's be exposed to as the Pharisees that we might be. So the next passage, um, it might be labeled in your Bibles as the seven woes or the eight woes to the Pharisees. Um, depending on your translation, and it's 15 verses, and I'm going to summarize it for you, although they do pack a punch, so it's worth reading on your own, but they basically go into further detail of what this picture looks like and how they're carrying it out, how, like, the specific ways of how the Pharisees have become hard through their performance and the burdensome religion that they're leading other people into, so I'll just share some of the highlights. He says, woe to you, six or seven times. It's Woe is a pronouncement of judgment, sorrow, distress. He calls them hypocrites, six times. He calls them children of hell, blind guides, blind fools, lawless, neglectful, whitewashed tombs. I think you kind of catch his drift a little here. He's, um, he's at, at mochi level, like I said. So we, I don't know. <laughs> If you kind of feel like, are we done talking about hypocrisy at Renew yet? <laughs> I feel like we visited this a lot um, because Jesus has addressed it a lot through the book of Matthew. But um, it's, worth, it's worth repeating. It's worth revisiting. We've learned that hypocrisy is just acting. It's having a sinful heart, which we all do. But pretending and performing and parading, platforming, all those bad P's, um, as if we don't. So it's the pretending that, that, uh, that we have it all together when our heart is really broken and in decay. 
And all the focus here externally is impressive and beautiful. But here's why I think Jesus continues to, to draw out hypocrisy and why we continue to talk about it at Renew. There's a couple really dangerous things that happen in hypocrisy. One is you mislead other people, and two is you deceive yourself. So when we're only paying attention to our outward adornment and we want to impress and we're climbing the ladder, others will see your outward appearance and those awesome Instagram posts and hear your words, and they will set that as a standard to achieve, becoming a burden they cannot bear. They will see, hey, Christianity looks like all of these impressive good things. That's what my Christian life is supposed to produce. But maybe naturally it's not coming, and so they heap them on like burdens on their back, hard to bear. And you yourself, me, myself, the more I'm paying attention to just the external, just all the things that I do that other people can see, maybe I'm receiving praise and adoration and accolade for these things, I start believing that and paying attention to those things, and I become deceived and hardened of heart, not even aware of, of my, the sin in my heart. You know, I, you might begin to think admiration and goodness is found out here in what people think of me, and so I neglect the condition of my heart, continuing to climb up the ladder. The more deceived, the more hardened, the more hardened I become, the more sin and decay goes unnoticed. So this is Jesus' concern in hypocrisy, that while doing this, while misleading people and deceiving themselves, they're distracting from and diluting the gospel. Like I said, it's just so different than the words Jesus is preaching and the cross that they're leading them to. It's distracting from and it's diluting the gospel. They are blind guides. This is what Jesus is calling them. This is what making, is making him so upset. So not only are they really paving their own way to destruction, but they're leading a pipeline away from Jesus. And, and, uh, and he cares about his little people. And he cares about that crowd and his disciples and how they're being influenced. And he calls out some of the good works that they do. Even in the middle of these woes, he's saying, yeah, they're teaching the law. Yeah, they're tithing. They're giving of their money. But even in their giving, it was mechanical. It was super visible and not generous. And even in their good works, like teaching the law, their motives were skewed and their hearts were hard. And so kind of to turn it back on, on us disciples as we're overhearing Jesus kind of pronounce these woes is asking ourselves this question. What kind of guide am I? Like, I don't want to be called a blind guide. I think about this for myself, like, what is the gospel according to Kristen? What is the picture that I would put up here of what it looks like? You know, I, I don't want people interacting with me and then walking away being impressed by my external spirituality and turning that into a burden of achievement for themselves. If I interact with someone and they walk away and say, I could never be the kind of Christian that Kristen is, I think I've failed. I have diluted and I have distracted from the gospel. I have done arrows. I have done things that are like arrows pointing to Kristen, things that are going to gain me admiration and accolade. And instead, I, it's not that I'm going to wipe out any, any good work from my life, 
But instead, I want when people interact with me and they see any external behavior, that that would be not an arrow to Kristen, but an arrow to Christ, that we would be able to view ourselves and to view our works as reflections, like people would be drawn in and they would see me reflecting Jesus, that they would be drawn in and they would see me as an arrow that would allow them to look up. Okay, we're moving toward the end of the passage here. So he's, he's kind of giving his final woe in the next section to the Pharisees. I'm going to pick up on verse 29. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Okay, we're going to pause real quick. I'll explain that. So what he's saying to the Pharisees, which is the Jewish religious of the leaders of the day, like we talked about, is he's talking about the prophets. So throughout time, God has faithfully sent prophets to his people, to his nation, Israel, to be basically a prophet was a mouthpiece of God, to, to teach them, to direct them, often to warn them and correct them when they were going astray from God's law. And what happens when people are hard of heart and they are being corrected and warned? Well, they're not happy. And so often these Pharisees' forefathers, the Israelites, they would stone and kill these prophets that came to be God's mouthpiece. So he's saying, okay, Jesus is saying, okay, Pharisees, I see here that you're building monuments and decorating these monuments of these prophets being like, if we were there, we would not have done that. But then he keeps going. Verse 31. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. This is basically just naming all of the the martyrs throughout the Hebrew Bible. Whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. So this is heavy. The Pharisees are so deceived. They are not guiltless. Their hearts are so hardened that they're, they're blind. But Jesus is telling them, You are the same as your ancestors that turned a deaf ear to the prophets, even though you build monuments pretending to honor them. Their guilt is your guilt because you're doing the same thing. I've sent you prophets. I've sent you truth tellers, opportunities for grace, warnings, but continually you don't repent. Instead, they conspire to kill. And this has happened throughout the book of Matthew, as we've seen Every time Jesus encounters the Pharisees from the beginning, they try to set traps for him in his teaching. He corrects, he warns, and each time they harden their hearts and they plot to catch him again. And even now, even when he's sharing this just harsh warning and harsh truth with them, even now he knows they will plot to crucify him. And this is how he ends, and this is how we'll wrap up together. In verse 37 on the next slide, it says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. 
How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I almost missed this. When I first read through this passage, I just was so kind of taken aback by how heavy some of Jesus' words were to them that I almost missed this, that he is saying, my heart is willing, that Jesus is saying that his heart is, has always been and remains in this place of, if only I could gather you together and protect you like a mother hen would its little chicks. Like he is just displaying his willing heart. It's back to his gentle words. But he said, you are not willing. And so those are the two things that I just kind of want us to turn back on our own hearts this morning is to remember, even as we read some of these harsh words of Jesus, that he is saying, like, I am willing. Oh, that I would just take you all together like a mother, like a father, and protect you and hold you. But is your heart willing? And we need to continue to remind ourselves of this, that Jesus is always willing to offer forgiveness because sometimes we feel too far gone, right? Sometimes it's like, I'm going to harden my heart because I'm just, I'm already out here. I'm already too far. But the, the offer of the cross is not expired. And so the question is, are you willing to stop deceiving yourself? Or maybe are you willing to stop trying to save yourself, proving to yourself that you can free your own heart? And so maybe even as I share these things, I don't, I don't know the condition of your heart. I know that I can only see externally and only God can see internally. So maybe even as, as we read this out loud and as I share these things with you, it might feel just kind of like a gentle reminder. Like maybe that's kind of where your heart is on the scale of correction. But maybe these words kind of feel like mochi level correction for you that it kind of breaks in order for it to soften. And so as we pray, I just want us to take a quick look internally. And, and we have time during worship, too, to pray. There'll be a couple people lined along the sides, maybe Wilson and Dave and myself. And if you would like to pray with one of us as you kind of look internally in your heart and ask some of those questions, we'd love to pray with you. But even now, will you pray with me and bow your heads? God, I'm so grateful um, just for this little one-verse reminder in the end that you are willing, just even in this handful of verses that we see, just the lengths that you will go to and even how upset that you, you get when our hearts are hard and when, uh, when there's religious leaders like leading people away from you. But we also see your gentleness, uh, how patient you are with us, how willing you are to be in relationship with us. God, I pray that we would have a sobering look at our own heart and that we would respond in surrender and in a softening heart and a turning. And I also pray just for the kind of guides we are, those of us that are disciples in the room and are followers of Jesus, would you help us to be really aware just that we are arrows and reflections of you and not somehow living a life that is becoming a burden for someone else to bear. Uh, We trust you, Jesus, that you will guide us and that you will receive us with gentleness. Thanks for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks so much, Kristen. Thank you for taking on a really difficult passage. Um, you know, as, as she was speaking today, I just thought about different seasons of my life, um, times where I felt so sensitive to the Spirit. And when he convicted me, it could be gentle and I'll turn. You know, Liam's really kind of sensitive that way. Uh, we count to three and we get to two and he usually complies. And then people ask, what do you do after three? I'm like, we haven't had to do that. We just say three really strongly, you know. And there's moments, not all the time, but there's moments, sorry to put that burden on you uh, and your children. No, I'm just kidding. So there's moments in my life that I feel like that with the Lord. He's counting to three. And before he gets to three, I just turn. And then there's other times in my life where I just think about the way I've kind of uh, gripped sin. You know, whether it's uh, pornography, whether it's gambling, trying to justify it trying to move away from God's word, move away from his people, move away from authentically sharing because I wanted this other thing. And what a good father does, a father who doesn't give up on us, right? A father that loves us is that he escalates because it's better for the consequence to break our heart than the sin to break our soul. So this morning, where are you? You know, as I, as I think about what Kristen shared, where are you? You know, is God beckoning you and it's easy for you to turn? Or is he upping his consequence because your heart is becoming more and more hard? And maybe the greatest warning is Pharaoh, right? For the first eight plagues, it said that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then the last two, it said God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That at some point, the warning stopped and sin we're left to our sin. And I, I think we need to kind of take that into account. The Pharisees ended up being left to their sin. That mochi didn't work for them. And I, I want us this morning as we go to communion to think through, man, what season am I in? Am I allowing, we're all going to sin. We're all saints that sin, right? But are we in a space where God can show us and we live surrendered and we repent? Or is there something we're just clinging to and we see God escalating and then our heart is escalating in hardness as well. I hope that the cross this morning would soften our hearts. You know, if, if Jesus dying and taking the nails and our lashes doesn't soften our heart, it's hard to think about what will. So if we, if we really are willing to take communion today, I hope that we would take it with a humble and soft heart that our Savior loves us, our Savior is willing to die for us so that we can come to Him. Let's all stand and take communion this morning. I would love to pray for you. I'll be on the side. Dave and Kristen and Jonathan would love to pray for you as well.